0: Welcome to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge Podcast, where we connect students and listeners to what's happening in Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Mike Ontyberg, here, as always, with co-host Alan Goldman. How you doing, Alan? Uh, doing okay, Mike. Just got back from the
1: supermarket, so...
0: All right, very exciting. It's <laughs> a thrilling day, especially in COVID times, yeah. to get out of the house. Our topic today exactly. is going to be... Uh, Uh, The vaccination issue regarding Palestinians in the West Bank. And Alan, would you please introduce our guest who we brought to talk about that topic?
1: I would be honored to. Uh, We're very happy today to welcome Simon Plosker, who is the managing editor of UN Watch. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to holding the United Nations accountable to its founding principles. From 2005 to 2020, Simon was managing editor of Honest Reporting following several years of working in a variety of nonprofit organizations and immigrating to Israel from London in 2001. He has degrees in international studies, political science, and history of international relations uh, from the London School of Economics. And welcome, uh, Simon. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Hi. Thank you. Sure. Thank you for
2: having me. It's a real pleasure to be on with you guys. Um, and it'll be, I'm sure it'll be an interesting topic. Uh, and I think it's one that deserves a proper sort of conversation rather than a shouting match exactly. as we've been seeing sort of in the, in the media recently.
0: Great. Well, that's exactly, then you yeah. get exactly what we're looking for on this podcast. So that's perfect. Before we do, though, can you tell us a little bit about UN watch so we get a little bit about where you work?
2: Sure. Um, I mean, you, Alan said he'd been out to the supermarkets. Um, <laughs> not, not particularly exciting, but for me, sort of getting out of the house now, um, UN Watch is actually based in Geneva, Switzerland, mm-hmm. uh, where there are lots of U- United Nations organisations are based there. Um, I'm based in Israel. Um, I've actually been working for UN Watch now sort of three and a half months. Um, thanks to COVID, I haven't even met most of my co-workers. Wow. Um, of course, I haven't managed to get to the the headquarters in Geneva yet. So um, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a strange time for me as well. But, um, you know, I've spent most of my career dealing with anti-Israel propaganda, um, dealing with the media, that sort of thing. And now I've turned my attention to the United Nations. And just in the last couple of months, um, it's been a real eye-opener. Um, UN Watch, for those of you who haven't heard about it, um, you might might have heard of the executive director, Hillel Neuer, uh, an international lawyer. He's well worth following on uh, social media, yeah. certainly on Twitter. He has Great a Twitter huge, feed. huge following. Um, very, very influential. Um, UN Watch itself was actually founded in 1993. Um, it's a non-governmental organisation and influences decision makers, educates world opinion uh, and promotes United Nations reform, transparency and accountability. Um, So what do we do? Essentially, we're at the forefront of combating racism, anti-Semitism, anti-Israel prejudice at the UN. um, And we take the offensive against dictatorships and the double standards there. And I I really want to stress this. um, It's not just an organisation that deals with the anti-Israel stuff going on in the United Nations. And I'm sure... Many of your listeners will be aware that a lot of stuff goes on there. Um, UN Watch also brings lots of dissidents from mm-hmm. uh, various countries that are suffering from human rights abuses um, gives them a voice at the UN because, of course, their own countries won't do that. Um, just to give you an example of the sort of thing that we're up against, um, recently the UN Human Rights Council held um, its elections. Um, this is a body that's based in Geneva and this is this is the... The UN body, as you can tell by the name, it's supposed to be the highest body dealing with international human rights. Sure. But this, this I mean, this will shock you if you don't already know. In the last elections, just held just a couple of months ago, in fact, just about a month and a half, two months ago, um, China, Russia, Cuba, um, they were elected. Venezuela sits on the UN Human Rights Council as well. And so many of these countries, they use their position at the UN Human Rights Council to divert attention away from their own human rights abuses. And it's up to organizations like UN Watch to shine a light on this and to uncover these okay. things that are going on and to try and hold them to account.
1: I, th- I mean, I think it's important. We might as well point out if we brought it up that China um, has a serious human rights uh, problem and record, particularly what's been in the news lately about the Uyghurs, who um, uh, uh, clearly there's a genocide being um, uh, perpetrated against them by by China, among many other, um, you know, leaving many, aside many, to many Tibet others, and yes. Hong
0: Kong and, and all sorts of Correct. things that the oppressive regime Correct. is doing. For them to sit at the head of a human rights council discussion seems pretty dysfunctional. Yeah, well,
2: it I, is completely dysfunctional. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I follow. I find I follow Hillel Neuer's Twitter account because I find it exactly like you're saying. I find it uh, very informative. Not just when he, he, he. Usually the tweets aren't about Israel, which I guess would be nice to you know sort of, yay us. But but I follow it more for the things I learn about that are going on in the world that he brings uh, to to my attention. It's very valuable. But we brought you on because absolutely. Yeah. The, the topic we brought you in for is because you wrote uh, an op-ed about this issue of there's so much criticism going around, you know, in the world media and in, in discussions about the fact that Israel, which is leading the world in COVID vaccination, now over, what is it, over two, well over 2 million with the first dose and now over a million, I think, with the second dose, but aren't providing it to the Palestinians of the West Bank. And so Israel, instead of always being applauded for this achievement, is also being criticized for the Palestinians of the West Bank, which reflects a certain, I think, lack of understanding of the arrangement, which is what you were trying to explain in your piece.
2: Absolutely, Um, I think it's worth pointing out. I just looked at the Jerusalem Post just in the last hour and I think uh, two headlines sum it up very nicely. Um, We have one headline, which says UN calls on Israel to help make vaccines available to Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And right underneath it, uh, We have another headline that says, Israel cries blood libel over false Palestinian COVID-19 vaccines charge. Um, So I think this really sums it up very nicely. It's not not a clear-cut issue here. There's a lot of nuance involved. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happened is uh, a discussion that I think should be had about... um, about Israel's um, responsibilities towards the Palestinians, I think that's a, a perfectly legitimate conversation mm-hmm. to have. I think it's been hijacked by um, organisations and individuals with certain agendas, um, anti-Israel agendas. They've jumped on a bandwagon here, and Israel's success in its vaccine program is being thrown back in its face. And I think it's worth pointing out. I um, think maybe explain to your listeners who those of you those of you don't know just how successful uh, it is here. Um, as you just mentioned, um, you know, many of us have already had our va- uh, at least our first dosage of the vaccine. Um, I'm personally waiting for my second one uh, in the next couple of weeks. And it's brought a lot of world attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been in the media. A lot of countries are comparing their own vaccine rollouts with Israel's. Israel has become the world leader in demonstrating how this, and I hope it is going to work. How how countries are going to get out of the horrible situation they find themselves in. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, publicity behind it, and perhaps some people would say, you know, maybe Israel shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have uh, jumped up and down and made such a big fuss about it. Look, I think we can be very rightly proud of the job we've done here, rolling out the vaccines. Without getting into the whole the whole arguments as to how we ended up in this situation in the first place, that's possibly a political one as well as a health one. But in the meantime, we've seen non-governmental organisations, the Palestinians themselves, all crying out in the media and elsewhere that Israel should have provided vaccines at the same time for the Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. Now, there are a number of arguments going on here. Um, One thing I want to dispel, first of all, um, this argument that the Israeli covid uh, vaccine program is somehow racist Hmm. let's let's deal with that first because i think this is absolutely appalling this charge um the distribution plan in israel does not discriminate the vaccines available to all israelis regardless of their race or ethnicity Um, arab israelis are of course absolutely entitled to it and so are palestinian residents of east jerusalem who don't have israeli citizenship um they, for and that's about two million people, aware, people out of Israelis,
0: of about twenty percent of Israel, and they're getting the vaccine right. at the same rates. It's not discriminating based on Ma- meaning anybody, medicine.
1: anybody who anybody who let's put uh, I made clear to say, anybody who has citizenship or residency right. in Israel, and belongs to a an HMO. I think part of it is being an, into mm-hmm. an HMO that is an Israeli HMO, right? What's well, an HMO? Um, Absolutely. So the, that's a the health, health maintenance uh, organisation mm-hmm. right. yeah, health maintenance
2: organisation we have four of them in this country um, it's in a way it's um, f- free healthcare for all except that they are in essence private companies competing against each other for government funding so they have oh. a they, they have a uh, they're Private they have non-profit, an incentive to. Uh, they they're non- right. non-profit, I, but they I, have an I mean, incentive to perform yeah. um, to the best of their abilities, to compete against each other. Um, yeah. And we've managed to... Uh, and everything's digitised, which makes it so much easier. Anyone walks in, all their health records are on computer, and it, of course, makes them s- uh, incredibly efficient. And it's been an example to the rest of the world. But I think, as uh, both of you well know, if you walk into an Israeli hospital or even into the clinics where they're performing these vaccinations, um, you will see um, Arab doctors treating Jewish patients, Jewish doctors treating Arab patients, Palestinians from East Jerusalem in, um, in Jerusalem hospitals getting treated. Um, and it's nothing, nothing to do with their ethnicity or background or religion. Um, right. And it's something we can be incredibly proud of. So this whole argument that somehow it's racist uh,
1: you know that, that really d- doesn't stand the test at all so who doesn't who doesn't um, get the privilege who doesn't get the vaccine now who doesn't have the right to get the vaccine now in area that is let's say right that we're talking about between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea So stay Okay. Of, so here, so here's here's
2: the, re- here's the real crux of what's going on here um, in terms of the the bad the uh, bad press if you will um, so the Palestinians in Gaza um, are not entitled to um, Israeli uh, vaccines and neither are West Bank Palestinians who are under the civil control of the Palestinian Authority. And this is perhaps possibly the most important thing to point out here. Um, Israel is not responsible for the Palestinian healthcare system. Uh-huh. This is something that was decided way back in uh, the Oslo Accords. We're talking back in... Uh, Um, 1995, in fact. The Oslo II Accord, there's an annex to it. It's Article 17. Um, We don't have to get into the whole sort of workings of this. But um,
0: But without the technicals, just just in general, what does that mean?
2: Without the technicals, just to tell you, it means that Israel transferred responsibility for health, including vaccinations, to the Palestinian side. Now, concerning epidemics and contagious diseases, um, it actually provides for the parties to... I quote, exchange information and cooperate in combating them and develop methods for exchanging medical files and documents. So it means that essentially Israel is obliged to cooperate with the Palestinians and facilitate their efforts to acquire vaccines. Um, and Israel's doing that. But it doesn't obligate uh, Israel to cover the costs of Palestinian health care. And um, so Essentially, I mean the, the real argument here is Israel is not obliged to start spending millions and millions of Israeli taxpayers shekels on vaccinations for
1: those Palestinians. Um, and by the way, they, we don't we don't have the health mechanism to because the Palestinian Authority is responsible for their own health care, right? They're not well, part absolutely. of that. I mean, our I th- our yeah. HMO system that we're talking about, right?
2: Right, I mean, it's, incre- it's incredibly complicated, but even... Let, let's take a completely hypothetical situation here. Um, if Israel was to be re- fully responsible for vaccinating Palestinians. Now, first of all, Gaza. Um, how on Ow. earth is Israel going to deal with that situation. This is a territory that is run by Hamas, which doesn't even recognize Israel's right to exist. We
0: would have to do so it against their will, like send, hold them down and vaccinate well, them. Well, that, that's it. Yeah. You
2: can, you, can uh, you know, how on earth are we going to get people in there to do the vaccinations? Um, as it is, I, I think that, it's worth pointing out, and I think it's incredibly important to point out that Israel has been training Palestinian medics and uh, and trying to bring in supplies, which it does to Gaza the entire time. Um, Obviously, um, pandemics don't discriminate between borders. Um, We don't need to get into issues of where the borders lie here, except to say that clearly Palestinians um, are our neighbours, and if the pandemic spreads there, it's obviously going to spread here in Israel as well, which it has done. Um, there's a lot of... Well, I don't think we
0: we can expect to achieve herd immunity if... Certainly, I don't know about Gaza, but certainly I wouldn't expect that we can achieve herd immunity if the West Bank isn't vaccinated. If the whatever it is, over 2 million or whatever the number is of Arabs in the West Bank, if they're not Uh, vaccinated, we don't have immunity. So it's in Israel's interest for them to be vaccinated properly.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's clearly in Israeli interest for them to be vaccinated. But uh, is it necessarily our responsibility to actually do that for them? The Palestinians themselves, um, in the last several months, um, they actually came out and said, we haven't asked Israel for the vaccines. We are making our own arrangements through the World Health Organization, which has also put together something called COVAX, which is basically a, an, um, an organization set up to deal with countries or territories that aren't, uh, aren't rich and aren't able to necessarily afford to deal with this situation by themselves. It's a way of bringing in vaccines in an organised fashion, perhaps at uh, um, less cost. Having said that, the Palestinians also said that they are making arrangements with other suppliers, including the Russians, who produced their Sputnik V vaccine. Now, I, I have no idea whether, I, you know, I'm not sure whether I would want to put a Russian vaccine in my own my own body.
0: Well, there are, there are um, Palestinian medical experts saying they're nervous about it because it hasn't been properly vetted.
2: Right, absolutely. And in fact, I think I just read just in the last day that the, the Russians themselves have uh, offered this vaccine at a, a, a ridiculously high cost, um, which I think is incredibly disappointing because if we've got all these you know, other countries saying, well, Israel, you should be helping the Palestinians. Well, clearly, trying to sell Palestinians... Um, vaccines at a vastly inflated cost is not going to help them at all. Um, sure. And I think that's I think that's very, very sad.
1: So, so why all of a sudden this change if, if Palestinians didn't ask Israel for help and made it clear that they were working on their own and they which seems to accept the idea that was set down in Oslo.
0: Which, I mean, kind of which actually I found, to help. They said, we'll take care of it.
1: Yeah. So i've uh, which I actually found very interesting when you said, Simon, that the fact that these protocols were written back in 1995, we had protocols for this, so that mm-hmm. that's fascinating um that they thought about that but what so what's now changed all of a sudden we're seeing in the u n that the foreign ministers you know blaming israel yeah I, think for...
2: what, yeah, I think what happened is that um it's become mixed up with the the wider topic of um i i use this i don't use this word lightly. The occupation or the alleged occupation of uh, Judea and Samaria, um, which we also call the West Bank. That, of course, is a topic for another time. It's a completely um, separate issue, but um, it comes back to this whole issue of Israel's control or how much control Israel has over the Palestinians. And a lot of non-governmental organisations that have a long track record of bashing Israel, for example, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, um, they've jumped on this as a way to have a go at Israel. But what was particularly interesting, I think, was you mentioned the Palestinians um, hadn't been interested in this uh, up till now. They had tried to deal with their own situation. They were making their own arrangements. But as soon as they saw... Um, organizations and individuals uh, starting to attack Israel over this issue, they saw an opportunity and they jumped on the bandwagon. So now we have a situation where, as I said at the beginning of the program, um, a conversation that I think should be had about how we can help the Palestinians has now turned into a... And ourselves. In a way, a shouting match. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it's also worth pointing out that several months ago, the Palestinians cut off cooperation with Israel. Um, over the annexation that was um, planned and didn't go ahead, the annexation of the, the Israeli annexation of the West Bank, the Palestinians cut off cooperation. During that time, um, the United Arab Emirates, for example, um, actually sent a plane load of medical supplies for the Palestinians, and it landed at Ben Gurion Airport, and the Palestinians said, no, we will not accept this help, this aid, these medical supplies, um, Medical things that are coming through because it's been organised with Israel and it came through an Israeli airport. So, you know, the Palestinians literally shot themselves in the foot there. So on one hand they're saying we don't want Israeli help, but on the other hand, when other people started saying the Israelis should be helping you, they jumped on they jumped on this bandwagon. I think I think it's incredibly disappointing because Israel has been helping uh, the Palestinians throughout this pandemic. The United Nations themselves actually praised the help that was being given, um, but now we find ourselves in a situation well, where... Can you give some examples,
1: of, examples how Israel was helping? Cause, uh.
2: Yes, I mean there was a lot, of, there were training of Palestinian medics, they were facilitating um, m- um, medicinal supplies going through, uh, also bringing in um, ventilators, because of course uh, you know, the um, Palestinian hospitals are not in great shape, especially in Gaza. I, I, you know, I don't think we can um, ignore that, that fact. The Palestinians right. don't have a well-maintained um, health sector. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, we're talking about the cost of vaccines, um, the issues of health care as well. Um, I, I think we have to discuss the Palestinian budget itself. Um, some 18 percent of um, the Palestinian budget go and we're talking we're talking. we um,
1: talking, millions, God, are talking millions Gaza or dollars? West Bank. What Gaza or West Bank?
2: We're certainly talking we're talking about the Palestinian Authority. West Bank. Um, uh, we're ended,
1: which is West, West Bank.
2: Let's let's talk about let's let's do let's do with the West Bank in this particular situation. Yeah. Three hundred million dollars the Palestinian budget. eighteen um, percent of that certainly uh, in the last few years has been going to pay the salaries of convicted terrorists sitting in Israeli prisons. Um, now there's been a, again, this is another huge issue. And Israelis have rightly pointed out, um, you know, if you're, you, you have the money to buy the vaccines and all you need to do is stop paying terrorist salaries um, because it's completely unethical for starters, and you could still buy all the vaccines necessary to uh, vaccinate your entire population and you'd still have money left over. Right. Right. And you know, so, again, you know, if we talk about Gaza yes. as well, this is a this is a, a territory that has spent money on building tunnels to attack Israel, launching rockets, and we still had rockets in the last few weeks. So it's spending money on terrorist activities
1: at the expense of its healthcare system. Right, which is always part of the part of the bind that we're in here, right? That we uh, on the on the one hand they they choose to. Um, like you said, whether it be um, actively uh, invest in, you know, uh, terrorism, or or deny, you know, a plane of medical supplies coming because it's coming through Israel, they're they're we say cutting their nose off to spite their face. But in the end of the day, it, it our, our bind is that it affects us. Besides just the terrorism, it affects us, like we we're saying, the, the pandemic doesn't know borders or the Palestinian Authority or Israel so it, it ha- like we're, we're in this really you know catch-22.
0: Well that's what I appreciate about your it's framing Simon that, that it's that it really is a complicated issue and it isn't there aren't easy simple answers one way or the other but flattening out to this soundbite to make Israel look bad hurts everybody it makes life more complicated and more difficult by oversimplifying just to make Israel look bad, you're, you're narrowing opportunities for Israelis and Palestinians, and you're making, it, it, it really is a shame.
2: Well, it, I- it really is. Um, and, I, and I think it's worth pointing out, the Israeli health minister, Yuli Edelstein, has actually said, you know, we are, we will be happy to help our Palestinian neighbours. It's in our interest to do so. But first, we have to vaccinate Israelis. And every state has a responsibility to to uh, secure the s- safety, the security of its own citizens. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of thinking of a... You know, I'm sure, unfortunately, it's been a while since I've got on an LL airliner. I'm sure mm-hmm. we're all looking forward to a point where we can get on a plane again. Um, but remember oh, those... I'm looking forward to uh, being other places again, but I never look
0: forward to being on a plane.
2: Okay, <laughs> I, I thought you were about to say an L plane in particular. No, um, well, <laughs> let's not go there. I don't want to
0: pick on LL, but... I'm six foot three, so and, and I can't afford first class, so I never really enjoy plane travel. Uh,
2: okay, I'm uh, okay as, as someone who's five foot five and three quarters. I, <laughs> I'm afraid I don't, I don't empathise yeah. particularly well with that. But uh, you know, if we think to these uh, the safety videos we watch when we get on an airline, mm-hmm. and it's what does it say when the you know the uh, the air pressure drops and you have this the oxygen mask pops out from the uh, the ceiling above you, and it yeah. says put your own mask on first before you put it on your children. Now, I don't want to compare the Palestinians to children, no. um, particularly as they have their own agency. I think it's uh, almost uh, a form of inverse racism that sees Palestinians as the victims the entire time who, and being unable to influence their own situation. They are able to. I don't know to. if it's so inverse. It, it, may, it may very well be blatant racism. You know what I mean? It might be it might be blatant racism um, but in this particular situation we need to get ourselves sorted first and at that point I really do hope that we're going to be able to offer more, more help than we've been able to so far to our Palestinian neighbours because yes it's of no, no help to anyone if this pandemic stays in our region um, and only Israelis are the ones who
1: have been vaccinated Yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean I'll, the thing I will say about this whole you know uh, let's say attack on Israel again not to justify it or or, or to rationalize it but what this whole situation does does kick, uh, pick out is is the the discrepancy between Israel's uh, Israeli society and Palestinian society in term economically um, and uh, democratically freely right there's a difference between having a freely elected democratic uh, government that's supposed to you know we, we could all we have our issues with our own government, but in the end of the day they are serving our needs because they are, are they, they work for us. Um so I, I think well, a lot I'll of this, this pandemic you, stuff just really highlights, what you're highlights what you're the differences between
0: it's not Israeli just the It highlights the, the, the precarious nature of this unresolved situation that, it, you know, there was this Oslo yeah. process in the 90s to try to establish some sort of yeah. meaningful way for the Palestinians to have a state. It didn't work. We're now in this weird limbo of they yeah. have an authority, but we still have military control. And so it creates so you have all these citizens of nothing, really. And that creates right. a terrible situation with this authority in charge of their health care. So. You know, they're not citizens of Israel. They don't want to be citizens of Israel. And so we have this really awkward, complicated problem that, you know, soundbite accusations don't help at all.
2: No, they certainly don't. You're you're correct. I think, you know, we spent a lot of time over the last few years talking about separation from the Palestinians. But I think a situation like a pandemic Mm -hmm. shows that. You know, you can separate all you want, but ultimately, we are going to have to learn to live with our neighbours. Mm-hmm. Um, please, God, in peace, mm-hmm. because something like this really does highlight how uh, you know, the interconnectivity of things. And there are still Palestinians coming into work um, in Israel from from the West Bank. Um, some of us, you know, are more than happy t- to use their services. They build some of our houses. They come in, uh, you know, and do lots of uh, jobs for us as well. <laughs> Some of um, us work live in, the West in Bank. Jerusalem, certainly, and right, absolutely. Um, so, you know, there's no way, no way, of getting around it. You know, we're going to have to deal with this together. And I think Israel has been very un- unfairly maligned for being successful in treating its own people. And we'll see. We'll see uh, in the next few months. I think. Um, where where this goes But I think it's also worth pointing out um, There are millions of Israelis Who are still waiting sure. to be vaccinated mm-hmm. You know, I mean yeah, yeah. As, as, w- as well as we've done so far There are still a lot of the majority. people Out there the, the, majority. Ma- the majority Who are still <laughs> waiting And I can't imagine any state That could justify Telling its own population um, You're going to have to wait Because we've decided to um, You know, out of whatever it is um, call it international law or the generosity of our own hearts. We're giving a significant proportion of these valuable vaccines, which you, the taxpayer, have paid for. We're going to give them to our neighbours. Um, I, you know, but at the moment own we're seeing the Europeans
0: ask not to be helped.
2: Right, exactly. They've got their own organisations as well. Um, we're even seeing at the moment the Europeans fighting amongst themselves. Um, I'm, I'm originally from Britain. Britain left the European Union and now the European Union is fighting with Britain over who's getting the, uh, the vaccines, the dosages, the, um, all this stuff that's being produced in factories in Europe or in Britain. Who gets it first? Um, Britain said itself, you know, they paid up front earlier than the European Union and therefore um, Pfizer and AstraZeneca, the t- two of the main, um, main companies producing these vaccines, They've given it to them first. And you know what? This is, uh, you know, that's the, way, that's the way of the world, really. Yeah. Um, you know, we can look at not just the Palestinians. There are millions of people in poorer countries around the world who are also going to have to wait because they also haven't got first, first dibs on this. Um, they can't necessarily afford it. They're waiting for the World Health Organization to come up with a, a package that is cheaper for them. So it, it does seem rather strange to me that the Palestinians are the ones that have managed to get all the publicity from this. Um, when there are, I'm sure there are a lot of other people around the world who are sitting there thinking, we desperately need vaccines, really desperately. Yet, how is it that one, one place on this planet oh, has managed huh. to get all of the publicity on this and managed to get all these people behind it uh, screaming that Israel's done something
1: wrong? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you I, think, I think it's a, it's a classic example I don't know if it's the uh, the canary in the coal mine but there the, we as you as you like highlighted there's a serious problem between the countries that are the haves and the countries that are have not just like they're in people right and Israel makes Israel and Palestinians make such a perfect <laughs> narrative for that because we're so close together it's something people recognize right it's recognizable right people oh we know there's a problem between those israel's those terrible israelis and the Pal, poor palestinians right so so it's it's such a an easy thing for the media to latch onto, and for people, you know, to get that point across. Unfortunately, uh, it just seems to me it fits that paradigm so well for that, you know, um, uh, uh, to to highlight this problem.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's like a microcosm of uh, of a much yeah. larger issue, and again, it fits into this whole thing of a sort of rich poor. David Goliath, um, yeah. and you know, there are far too many people who want to see uh, Israel as the the rich Goliath in this sense. Um, yeah. And this has been a perfect opportunity to twist the issue um, towards uh, mal- malignant ends.
0: More light, less heat, instead of what what you're trying to do, Simon, which is to bring more light and less heat. Everyone calm down, have a... Sound bites. It's part of the spirit of the age, is this, you know, let's, 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 it's, it's sort of a, a Twitter level communication of, oh, here's an accusation, let that stick without ever really getting to the bottom of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, obviously I deal with the United Nations now. Um, and I think it's really worth having a look at uh, what was said, I think just today or yesterday. Um, I mentioned that headline in the Jerusalem Post. Um, about the United Nations calls on Israel to help make vaccines available to Palestinians. Now, there's actually a lot of nuance there, um, if you look behind the headline, because there's a brand new um, UN special coordinator for the Middle East peace process. Um, his name is Tor Wenersland. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Well, we'll now, be hearing from him if, he he said, d- if you
0: didn't, because he's a regular listener to the podcast. He'll be very... <laughs>
2: or if he's not, if he's not already he will be soon <laughs> yeah. I'm sure because if he's uh, coming here on a regular basis he, he needs to needs to learn the facts that would be good actually um, yeah uh, he, yeah he i mean he's actually said that uh, that Israel's launched this large scale vaccination um, but he stopped short of saying that uh, Israel is directly responsible for su- supplying it so he said and I'll, I'll read you the quote here in this context the UN continues to encourage Israel to help address the priority needs of Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territories and to support COVID 19 vaccine availability more generally. He doesn't say Israel should be paying for the vaccines or even distributing. Well, that seems appropriate. He says doesn't they should it? be that helping seems... address. This is absolutely appropriate. Yeah. So I think it's very, very interesting that this is coming from someone from the United Nations. Um, and he even says that Israel has worked closely with the UN and its partners throughout the course of this pandemic to ensure that equipment and supplies have been delivered throughout the occupied West Bank, including East Jerusalem and Gaza. So, you know, um, you know let's, uh, let's recognise this. This is actually a very, very fair comment from someone at the UN, and I think this is a very positive start for the new, uh, the new envoy, um, he only arrived literally the last few days. So hopefully this sort of thing continues, because I think there's a bit more nuance there. Um, yes, Israel can help, but Israel's not, Israel
0: doesn't need to be um, punished for its own success. Well, vilifying and finger-pointing isn't making things better in a complicated situation. Do you have a sense of optimism that things can become better? You know, with, with attitudes like that that are intelligent, informed, moderate, and actually constructive... Um, I am
2: optimistic. Um, you know, I think this will, you know, I think this will blow over eventually because it has to. Um, mm-hmm. but, but the only problem being this will probably only blow over when vaccines start arriving in uh, the Palestinian territories. Um, I think Israel should, and I'm sure it will, do everything possible to make sure those vaccines get into those territories. As we say, it's in our interest to do mm-hmm. that. And no one wants, no one wants to see ordinary Palestinians suffering. No one wants to see ordinary Palestinians hospitalized with COVID. Um, You know, it's not good for, not only is it not good for us, of course it's terrible for them. And, you know, everyone's suffering.
0: Yeah. Well, we're both out of time and we've hit an optimistic note. So so (laughs) that's a good place to wrap it up. Uh, Simon, thank you. Again, I appreciate not only your information, But also your framing of it, I think, is exactly uh, a a great example of how to look at things. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Sure. Our pleasure. Uh, Alan, thank you. Thank you, Mike. And we don't have to log off, but it is the end of the episode, so I'm stopping the recording. Bye-bye.